I invite you to open your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Today we're wrapping up our study of the Lord's Prayer. Then next Sunday we'll start a new series on spiritual disciplines. I guess you could say, you know, prayer is one of the spiritual disciplines, the exercises we we, we perform to stay spiritually healthy. But beginning next Sunday, we're going to talk about six different exercises, six different spiritual disciplines that keep us close to the Lord and keep us strong spiritually. But today we want to wrap up this series on prayer. Uh, yesterday, Monisa and I drove down to Lexington, South Carolina to spend the afternoon with Stephen and his family. And uh, their youngest, David, our grandson, he turned one, so they had a, a birthday party and did the usual thing. You know, when, when they're one, it's about them getting cake all of themselves, but uh, it's the adults eating. So he had barbecue. <clears throat> and uh, since it's Columbia, he also had what we, you know, you don't get, find around here too much. In addition to barbecue, we had the hash and the rice, which, which I also like. And if you don't know what that is, Google it, and you may not want to eat it, or you might, I don't know. But anyway... Um, and then the sides, you know, the slaw and the, the baked beans and, and, and the hush puppies and, and, of course, the cake and the ice cream. So we had all, all of that stuff. And here's the problem. Since I've been on vacation, I've been trying to eat better. So we, we were in Kentucky visiting our parents, and I bought a mess of um, half-runner green beans. And we took them to the lake with us in Tennessee and fixed a big old pot of beans with, you know, new potatoes cut up in it, and yeah, I seasoned it with a ham hock. You have to. It's not good if you don't. And uh, But we ate good. We ate, we ate green beans. And then when we, we came back to Rock Hill uh, this past Wednesday, I think it was, we stopped at the farmer's market in Asheville, and I bought me another big old mess of half-runner green beans and some more new potatoes and some big old heirloom tomatoes and some Vidalia onions and you know, squash and zucchini, all that really good stuff, and another piece of, you know, meat to season it with when I, you know, when I cook the beans, and and so we fixed a big old pot of that, and and, and I told Monisa because normally when I have green beans and tomatoes and onions, I want some cornbread because it's just not right to eat that stuff without cornbread, but cornbread's not healthy. So I told her, sweetie, no cornbread. No cornbread. She didn't fix cornbread. And, and, and i got to be honest, the beans weren't quite as good because of that, but nonetheless, I, I ate it. And so I've been, I was trying to do better. So I get down to Stephen's house, and here's barbecue and hash and slaw and baked beans and cake with fudge icing. Okay? And my daughter-in-law, I'm sitting at the dining room table, I didn't ask for this, but my daughter-in-law sticks a plate in front of me, and it's got a piece of that cake on it, but it's not a normal-sized piece. It's a big old size, big old piece. I don't know if she just looked at me and thought that's what I would want or what, but that's what she and, and I can remember thinking, I don't need to eat that. Do I say to her, can you cut that in half? What do you think I did? Yeah, I ate it with ice cream on it. <laughs> I mean, don't tempt somebody like me with that. Okay? 
And that's what it was. It was a temptation, and I paid for it last night because I didn't sleep real well because of all the caffeine and all that fudge. It's funny how temptation works, isn't it? And usually when we think of temptation, we think of things worse than cake and barbecue and other things. We, we think of things that, you know, can mess up your marriage, can mess up your career, can mess up your reputation. But temptation's real, isn't it? You ever struggle with that? Huh? You, you ever struggle with temptation? You, you ever struggle with big temptations and little temptations and whatever you want to call those in between to do something you know you shouldn't do, something that God would not want you to do, something that's wrong that doesn't honor Him. Anybody in here ever face, ever deal deal with temptation? Am I, do y'all feel my pain? Am I the only one? Y'all, y'all get what I'm saying? But it's amazing how temptation works. There was a, a 54-year-old man in Chicago about eight years ago walked into a Walgreens. They had an ATM machine on the inside, and he went over to use it, and so he he bent over and set his uh, drink down on the floor, and then he did his banking business, and when he finished, he leaned back over to pick up his drink, and something on the floor caught his eye. And the security camera in the Walgreens shows him bending over and just staring at the floor for, for, for a while, and then he stands up and he looks around real slowly and thoroughly, bends back over, picks up his drink and a bag. There was a bag on the floor that had, a, I forget which bank it was, but it had one of the bank's logos on it. And when he, looked, when he peeked inside, he saw some checks and some cash. And so as he picked that up, after looking around the security video, <clears throat> shows him leaving the Walgreens. Now, what would you have done? Now, don't lie. What would you have done? So he leaves the Walgreens, gets in his car, and drives home. Gets in his house, and when he opens it up and sorts everything, in addition to the checks, there's $17,000 of cash in that bank bag that somebody left on the floor of the Walgreens. I would imagine eventually that employee got fired, wouldn't you? So he opens it up. There's all this money in it, and, and, and he has this battle going on inside, and suddenly he has a guilty conscience. And he drives to the police station, and turns the bag in with all the money, and tells them what happened. Isn't that neat? Isn't that good? Except. He lied, and I don't know why. It doesn't make any sense. But after almost stealing the money, deciding not to, he lied to the police about where he found the money. Well, at that moment, the police didn't know. Story gets out. Media picks it up. He's a hero on TV, print media. You know, everybody's interviewing him, talking to him. He's a hero. People are giving him gifts and so on. And the police eventually come across that security video and find out he lied to them about where he actually found the money. And, and in doing that, he broke a law. It's called filing a false police report. And so now instead of getting a reward, he's paying a $500 fine. And instead of being a hero, 
people were thinking, what's wrong with you if you turn the money in? What did you lie about? But it's funny how temptation works. Sometimes we can we, we, we can really struggle with something big and then all of a sudden we, we make up our mind and we do the right thing only to have something little do a sin. You ever been there? See, little things can mess us up as, as, as well as big things. Temptation is just, it's just crazy how it works in life. And we all struggle with it. Jesus knew that. That's part of the reason that in the Lord's Prayer, he included some teaching about dealing with temptation. Verse 13, do you have your Bible? Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or some translations will say the evil one. Now, most of us have quoted this verse for years, right? And maybe in the back of your mind you've had a thought, but you didn't let it come to the front. Perhaps you did, but most of us probably did not. Why did Jesus say, pray, don't lead us into temptation? Is God going to lead us into temptation? And so we're praying and asking and begging God not to lead us into temptation because when you read it, that's what it sort of sounds like, isn't it? And so it's a little bit confusing. What, what does Jesus mean when he says, pray this way? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Does God ever lead us into temptation? Well, James tells us in the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 13, that no, God never tempts us. Look at these two verses. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, <clears throat> I am being tempted by God. Why? Because God cannot be tempted and God does not tempt anyone. Whenever you're tempted, he says, you need to acknowledge this reality, that, that you are tempted because you are carried away and enticed by your own lust. Lust is an overmastering desire. A desire is something that's natural, to have money, to have enough to take care of our family, uh, to pay for dreams, all of that natural desire. But when we allow that desire to get too powerful and it becomes a master of us, that can be a, a desire for relationships, a, de a desire for intimacy, it can be a desire for anything. But when it gets too strong, it becomes a lust. And, and Scripture says we are tempted when we allow natural desires to get out of proportion, they become lust. And once we allow that lust to take root, it entices us to do things we shouldn't do, we don't want to do, God does not want us to do. That's what temptation is. And so God says, hey, he can't be tempted. He doesn't tempt anybody. So again, what does Jesus mean when he says, lead us not into temptation? Because God doesn't tempt us. Now, the scriptures teach that God does do something. He does test us. He does test our faith sometimes to prove whether or not it's real. That's ha that happened in the Old Testament with Job, didn't it? He, he tests us because going through the test, if we are faithful, our faith increases, we grow. So God does test us. In, in John chapter 6, when Jesus feeds the thousands, um, let's go ahead and look at that, that for just a moment. Jesus, therefore, lifting up his eyes and seeing the large crowd was, that was coming to him, said to Philip, one of the 12 disciples, okay, notice this. He said, Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? How are we going to feed them? But notice verse 5, verse 6. This he was saying to test him, for Jesus himself 
knew what he was intending to do. Jesus already knew that he was going to turn that bread and fish into food, multiply it, and feed the multitudes, the thousands. But he was testing Philip. How do you respond? Sometimes God tests us. He doesn't tempt us. But God will test us to, to, to prove to yourself, okay, to prove to you. Is your faith real? Is your devotion, your commitment real? Are you the real deal? God will test you to develop you, to grow you, because having everything easy all the time doesn't grow people. Being challenged, facing opportunities, that grows us. You grow in your marriage as you learn to work through stuff. You don't grow if you don't learn to work through stuff, right? Testing can be a positive thing. So God doesn't tempt us, but Scripture says he does test us. Now, here's something else that's interesting about that about that teaching. Lead us not into temptation. Don't lead us into temptation, Lord, but deliver us from evil. In, in our English language, when we say the word temptation, we think of one thing, right? When we say the word test or trial, we think of something totally different. Different words. Test and temptation in English are different words, mean different things, correct? But in the Greek of the New Testament, there is one word that means both temptation and test. The same word in Greek means temptation and trial. And so when you saw on the screen the passage from John chapter 6 where it says Jesus was intending to test Philip, it's the same word that is used in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus said, pray this way, lead us not into temptation. Same word. But in one passage it's translated as test and another passage it's translated as temptation because in English they mean something different, but in Greek it's the same word and it can mean either. You have to allow the context of the passage of Scripture to help you know what the focus is, but there's even more to it because the truth is every event of your life, every situation, everything you encounter is simultaneously a temptation and a test. Every opportunity, every challenge, when, when, when people throw something in front of you, when you're all of a sudden you unexpectedly find yourself staring at a bag of money on the floor of the Walgreens, somebody gives you too much change at the local restaurant, Monisa and I have to stop uh, at the uh, Lizard's Thicket in Blythewood. The reason we need to stop there is because the last time we did and ate dinner, we were bringing our granddaughter Liliana back with us to spend a few days. So we stopped there to eat dinner. She's, I should know this, she's four, five, four, five, four. How old is she? Four? She's four. Uh, and so we're, we're eating at Lizard's Thicket. And uh, we get in the car and we're driving home and Monisa gets in, in, in her purse and she discovers there's a, there's a fork and a spoon. Because Liliana, our granddaughter, had been playing with the silverware and she thought it was just neat to put them in Nana's purse. There's a simple little thing. It's a small thing. You know, like lying on the... What do you lie... What do you do? Well, we're going to stop at Lizard's Thicket and we're going to return the fork and spoon. 
they probably don't even know it's missing. Not worth a lot of money. They don't have real expensive ones, you know. But there's right and wrong. And God knows. See, God sees what's done in secret, right? Every, every situation in life is a temptation. See, it's, it's the angle you're looking at it. Uh, Satan's looking at every, every event in your life, and he's working, he's trying, he's manipulating, trying to get you to do what is wrong. That's the temptation side of it. God, the Holy Spirit, is working in your life, influencing, prodding, to get you to do what's right, testing your faith. Is your faith real? Is your obedience real? Can you use this as a growth opportunity? Can you pass this test and be a positive witness for Christ and his kingdom and the gospel? So now when you hear Jesus say, pray like this, lead us not into temptation, all of a sudden it takes on a little bit different meaning, doesn't it? It's as though we're praying, God, get me through this the right way. Lead me and guide me in life in such a way, God, that I pass the test, that I don't give in to the temptation, that Satan loses and you win. Deliver me from the evil one and what he wants to do in that circumstance. There's there's a passage in the Old Testament book of Psalms that may enlighten us a little bit on this psalm 141 verse 4 look at this he says do not here's the psalmist praying to god he says god do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice deeds of wickedness with men who do iniquity and do not let me eat of their delicacies see it's it's a different language it's a different culture it's a different century and and the way some people in one culture speak is a little bit different than the way we speak in ours right And so in, in our modern English, we may not say it the quite, quite, quite the same way, but what he's saying here is, God, don't allow my heart to be drawn to what is evil, what is wrong. Don't, don't allow me to be attracted to those who do wickedness. God, don't allow me to, 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 be, to be influenced by those who practice iniquity, God. And I don't, I don't even want to participate and their delicacies, the things that they maybe for a short season gain and benefit from all of their wrong, God. I want to be pure. And so Jesus is saying, when you pray, pray, God, God, oh, Father, keep me holy. Keep me right. Keep me pure. Don't allow me to succumb to temptation, but give me the ability to be righteous, to do what is right. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven. Very first Sunday in this series, we said prayer is about a relationship. It's about us being in communion with our Father, talking to our Father. We have a relationship with Him. Our Father, who is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's about His priority. That prayer begins with him and what he's wanting to do in our lives and what he's wanting to do in this world and and our obedience to him and our submission and surrender to him as we keep, remember, we keep our 
gaze on God and our glance on the things we're praying about versus what people usually do of just staring and gazing at what we want and only glancing at God. God is about you and it's about your kingdom and it's about obedience to you. It's your purpose, God. He said, if you, if you want to understand prayer and have a great prayer life, you have to get that right. It's about that kind of relationship of obedience with the Father. So our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Hallowed be your name. Father, may your name always have a good reputation. My life, my life, may it always be lived in such a way that it builds up your reputation, Jesus, and doesn't tear it down. How? By obeying you and surrendering to your will. Give us our daily bread. God, I, I trust you. I trust you so much. I, I, I know you're going to take care of me if I trust you and put you first. So, God, I don't need to do what's wrong. I don't need to steal. I don't need to lie. I don't need to follow the world's way because, God, I trust you. And forgive us our sins if we, as we also have forgiven, you know, our debtors. Father, keep my relationship with you right and my relationships with other people right. And when there's wrong in me towards you, God, I need that fixed, forgiven and fixed. And God, when there's wrong in my life toward other people, I need that forgiven and fixed. God, those relationships matter. And so God, in summary, don't let the evil one ever win in my life. Don't, don't, don't allow him to work in all the events of my life to tempt me so that I give in. But God, when all these events that are a temptation in terms of what Satan's trying to do, but God, they're a test from you trying to, you're strengthening my faith and you're giving me the opportunity to prove how real and genuine and authentic I really am. God, let me pass that test. So I guess you could say the entire Lord's prayer is about our relationship with Jesus Christ, isn't it? Every bit of it, our relationship with him. When our daughter Jacqueline was young, she's artistic, good writer. And so she, <laughs> she'd leave notes around the house all the time. Now, occasionally, they were not happy notes when she was mad about something. But most of them were just love notes. We still have some of those. Well, her son, our grandson Liam, who's now nine, when he comes to see Paul and Nana, he does the same thing. He's just like his mom. He leaves those notes around. He hasn't left me a mean one yet. They've all been kind and loving so far. Because it's about a relationship. Your life is a love note to Jesus. Your prayer life is to be a love note to Jesus. It's like a husband or a wife sitting there and just staring across the table or the other side of the living room just looking at their, their, their wife or their husband for a few moments, just marveling at their beauty and, and how special they are and how much you love them. Or you, you look at your child or your grandchild and, and you just sit and you just soak it up. You just soak it in, right? And, and you just feel so much love. That's what prayer is supposed to be. We have corrupted it by making it just about me. About Jesus, can you be my Santa Claus today? 
instead of a love relationship. Now, in a love relationship, we ask and we, we, we talk about stuff, right? But it's in the context of we're just loving each other. We're loving each other. We're loving each other. That's what prayer is. And if you do it right, that's what prayer produces in your life. It's an intimate relationship with the Father. Now, as I kind of draw this to a conclusion, verse 13 of the Lord's Prayer, pray this way, lead us not into temptation, but do what? Deliver us from evil. We want to win. Now, some of your Bibles will say deliver us from the evil one. The reason is that Greek word can mean either all kinds of evil or the evil one, Satan, or both. So God give us victory over the devil because the truth is we do have an enemy. We do have someone lined up in opposition to us who wants to knock us down, who wants to defeat us, who wants to destroy us. And God doesn't want us to fall prey to that. Do you know that Jesus prayed for you so that you would not fall prey to evil, to the evil one? In John chapter 17, verse 15, the Bible tells us Jesus is praying. This is his high priestly prayer the night of his arrest before he was crucified. He said, I do not ask you to take them, his disciples, his followers, us, out of the world. In other words, when somebody becomes a believer, don't just immediately zap them up to heaven. He said, Father, that's not what I'm asking, but what I'm praying, what I'm asking is that you keep them from the evil one. Doesn't that sound just like the Lord's Prayer? Jesus prayed for you to have victory. Jesus prayed for you to be strong. Jesus prayed for you not to succumb to temptation. Jesus prayed for you to knock the devil down and stay firm, pass the test, and prove the authenticity and sincerity and realness of your faith. And so I've got a, a challenge for you, similar to what I proposed three or four weeks ago. Some of you remember I asked you to uh, take a week between sermons and read the book of 1 Thessalonians. It has five chapters. Read one chapter a day. I'm going to ask you to do something like that again. Now, why? Because it's about having a daily encounter with Jesus Christ. How do we win this fight? Matthew 4, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, what did he do? Quoted Scripture. You're never going to quote Scripture if you don't know Scripture. You're not going to have the bread of life to give you spiritual strength if you never eat the bread of life. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying the night of his arrest, and he comes to the disciples and finds them sleeping because they were tired, and he says, watch him pray. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And how do you, how do you watch him pray? You, you, you watch by praying. You watch him pray by getting into the Word of God, allowing him to speak to you, and then responding to what he says. It's a conversation. It's an encounter. You have to have a daily experience with Christ. So I want to encourage you to take this week one of the epistles. Ephesians has six chapters. Read one a day for six days. 
Philippians and Colossians each have four chapters. Choose one of those books and read one chapter a day. So four days this week. First Timothy has six chapters. Maybe choose that book and read one chapter a day. So six days. So this week, you're, or go back if you didn't do First Thessalonians, maybe do that. It has five chapters. So for four days or five days or six days this week, you are reading one chapter of Scripture a day. And, and brothers and sisters, hear me. There is a huge difference in your experience of hearing the voice of God speak to you in Scripture when you read the Scripture sequentially versus just, well, today I'm going to read this part and then tomorrow I'm going to read another part and, and you jump around all over the place. It's not anywhere close to the same in terms of effectiveness or spiritual development. I'm just telling you. And so take one of those books and read it all the way through this week, one chapter a day. And when you sit down to read, pray. The first thing you do is pray, Holy Spirit, speak to my heart. Show me things in this chapter that you want me to see. Speak to me. Talk to me. Because this is not about me filling my head up with knowledge. It's about me filling my heart up with you so that I can obey you. Speak to me as I read. It may not be natural for some of you, but I encourage you to get a notepad or a piece of paper or a journal, and if a verse speaks to you, just jot down verse 10, and in two or three sentences, what did God say to you in that verse, and then think about it, reflect on it, and then pray about it, and maybe write out in one or two sentences a quick prayer in, in quotation marks to God as your response to what God said to you in that passage. You've heard me talk about it. Some, we're going to talk about it a lot this fall because we're going to launch these in our church. But I've been meeting weekly with two different D groups, groups of, of men, small groups of men in the mornings since February. We've been reading one chapter a day, five days a week, and praying about it and hearing God and journaling and responding. And I'm seeing God do some incredible things in our lives. This is my journal. Starting in February, we've been six months. We've, my groups have read 128 to 130 chapters, depending on where we're at getting ready for our meetings this coming week. That's an average of five chapters a week, six months. And in here's 128 journal entries for those 128 chapters reading all the way through the Gospel of Luke, all the way through the book of Acts, all the way through 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, all the way through 1st, 2nd Corinthians, all the way through Romans and so on. And I just, I just put notes where God speaks to me. And the last one, I'm reading Acts 24 and in verse 27, you know what God said to me? It just jumped out at me that day because I'm just reading and focusing and, and I'm following the story of the Apostle Paul. And in verse 27 of Acts 24, it tells us it's so simple, but it's so important, so powerful. Paul was wrongly arrested, and in that verse, he spent two years in prison being falsely accused. And during those two years, over and over, you know what he did? He witnessed for Jesus. And there is absolutely no indication anywhere in that chapter or the chapter before or the chapter after of Paul expressing any bitterness toward God for the fact that he's wasting two years of his life in prison. He considered himself an instrument in the hand of God 
And so whenever he had a chance to speak, while he defended himself, he spoke for Jesus. I was blown away by that as I just sat there and thought about it. Tried to imagine. I tried to imagine myself in that situation, and I could imagine myself having some bitterness, couldn't you? And, and part of what I wrote was, wow, such an injustice, yet he witnesses for Jesus and shows no evidence of bitterness. Truly his life had been crucified with Christ. And part of my prayer was, Lord, my life has not always been that way. And I just went on to spend some time talking to God about some stuff. And that was my encounter with Jesus that day. How do you, how do you pray the prayer, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil? How do you, how do you win? It's not by uh, spending all your time during the week. And, and, and we're busy. We're busy. We have pressure. We have demands. We have dreams. I, I, and so do I. Sometimes people think because I'm a preacher, you know, spending time with Jesus comes easy. Well, no, I spend time studying, but if that becomes the substitute for my time with Jesus, after a while, I'm just an empty talking head. If you think showing up on Sunday and going to Sunday school and worship is going to give you all the spiritual energy you need to win, you're wrong. I challenge you this week to try to spend some time every day, daily, daily, daily with Christ. We're at different places in life, different seasons of life. Some of us can spend more time than others. I get that. But each of us can do and will do what we want to do. You may just have to not watch that television program. Some of you are really disciplined, man. You'll get up early every morning, make your way to the Y, then get back and shower and get ready for work. But you don't have the discipline to spend a moment with Jesus during that day. We do what is important to us. Some of you will spend so much time checking your Facebook feed. A few of you in this room, Instagram or Twitter. No time for the Word of God, no time for prayer, no time for Christ. We do what we want to do. See, the Lord's Prayer is about a relationship. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And if your spiritual life is dry, you're not spending time with Jesus. So that's my, my challenge to you. Spend some time with Jesus this week. I promise you, you'll like it. You'll benefit from it. Your love relationship with Jesus will prosper. Develop, develop that spiritual discipline. Let's stand and team's going to lead us in singing our hymn of invitation and I'm inviting you to come here to the altar and, and pray. Some of you need to pray, whether it's standing where you are or kneeling here, and commit.
commit. Jesus, this week I'm going to spend some time with you. Just make the commitment. Some of you may need to sit down as a couple or a family and talk about changing some patterns or some routines that will allow each of you to do that. Some of you who have young kids, it may be the husband has to do something and then the wife has to do something so that each of you are able to have some time with Christ. Brother Jamie's here, I'm here. You can come and talk with one of us if you want to make some other decision, whether it's to join First Baptist Church or request baptism. Most importantly, you don't have a relationship with Christ. He's not your father because you've never committed your life to him. You can come this morning and say, Pastor, I want to give my heart to Christ. I want Jesus to be my Lord. I want God to be my father. We'll pray with you as you commit your life to Christ. Let's sing together. You come now.